a passage of Scripture that admittedly uh, is a difficult one unless you understand exactly what the Lord is getting at, and then it becomes pretty simple to discern what it is that he's trying to say. One of those passages that if you read books such as Hard Sayings of the Bible, you'll find this one in there because this is a tough one. Because in the end, it appears that the Lord is saying, and I believe it actually is the case, that there is a place that you can go in your own heart and in your own mind that you cannot recover from. Before we even start, I want to remind you that that is not God's plan for your life. Secondarily, I would remind you that if you even care about such things, you haven't gotten there yet. And thirdly, the answer has always been God's grace and will always continue to be God's grace to these unpardonable suggestions. And this morning, the reason that I've entitled this study a suggestion as opposed to the unpardonable sin is because this happens to be an illustration of what Jesus will actually say when we get to chapter 12. And so this morning, an unpardonable suggestion And before we begin, I want to remind you that very often it is a vocal minority that causes the majority to hold a viewpoint. It's always a dangerous place to be. Because there are frequently and often in our lives people who have a wrong opinion about something that seem to somehow impress that will upon other people. We have many of those issues in our lives today. And in fact, I think, as we will see this morning, that uh, we might want to actually let our Congress know that this uh, verse 17 is available to them for wisdom, that every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. When we can't get along within ourselves, when we argue amongst ourselves, when we are divided against ourselves, we're in trouble And so Jesus is going to illustrate this point for us this morning in an unpardonable and an unpardonable suggestion. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for the power of your word. Lord, as you speak to us, we pray that we'd have ears to hear, that we would understand with spiritual discernment, that we would know what it is that you have for us this morning as we open your word and turn to it to be encouraged, strengthened, blessed, filled up, challenged, God, and even at times warned. And so, God, we pray that you would minister to us now by the power of your word. We ask these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Verse 13 here, as we go back just a little bit to put this all in context. And so Jesus begins... In essence, this dialogue by saying, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Never forget that God is good and God is generous. Sometimes people live their lives believing that God is mean, that God is mean-spirited, that he is constantly angry, that largely he hates people, and he just kind of puts up with us. That is not the God of the Bible. Is God holy? Yes. Is God righteous? Absolutely. Does God demand righteous living of his people? He sure does. But he is in no way 
a God who wants to punish every moment of every day. He is not looking for a way to fry or barbecue you this afternoon. He, he has not in his mind's eye, in his plans for you, anything but good. He does not think evil towards you. He loves you with an undying love. And to prove it, he sent Jesus into this world. Amen? We must keep that in view at all times, especially when we come to difficult passages. People get in trouble by isolating these difficult passages and making doctrine of them. The same is true for those very difficult passages in the book of Hebrews that seem to indicate that possibly it's, it is an ability that the human might have to forfeit one's salvation. You must keep in view the goodness, the generosity, the love, the kindness of God when you come to passages that are difficult. And so this morning, if God is spirit and the Holy Spirit is God and Jesus is God, and if Jesus gives the Holy Spirit to believers who don't deserve the work of the Spirit in their lives, you must begin that God is good. Please start there and stay there as we travel through this admittedly difficult passage this morning. And it begins then in verse 14, and he was casting out a demon and it was mute. And so it's simply saying that the person who was possessed, the evidence of that demonic activity was that this person could not speak. He was mute. And so it was when the demon had gone out, that the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled. Now, would you notice what is said very next line, verse 15, and some of them said, so the multitudes are marveling, and some of them said, the multitudes are marveling, they've got the right view, they actually know the truth, they're seeing it correctly, and a couple of local yokels start to try and switch from marveling multitudes to messed up masses. This is how it works. This is the nonsense very often that comes when you have those argumentative types. Now, we've had a few folks come to this church that have offered to prophetically speak into my life that I'm going to go blind. We've had people come to this church and say that we're of the devil. We have had people come to this church and say all manner of things falsely against me and against us, not for his namesake, because they're knuckleheads who don't know God's word. There are always knuckleheads who don't know God's word. It's actually the biggest problem that I believe the church has today in a practical sense is we have a church that doesn't know God's word. They study everything else. They read books left and right. They pull out things. That, oh, this is this must be of God. Simply because the guy quotes one scripture in the beginning and closes with, and oh, by the way, if you want to contact me for more resources on how I feel about what I think God might say, contact, contact me at www.abdumasabrick.com. You see, very often people get their understanding of God's Word, not from God's Word, not from God Himself, but from people who have no idea what they're talking about. And so it was here. Some of them said, 
Now you talk about an unpardonable suggestion. He, that he would be Jesus, by the way, casts out demons by Beelzebub. That's not Beetlejuice. That's Beelzebub. Lord of the flies, the demonic Lord of hosts, the God of the Elkronites, believed to be top in the list of the demonic order of the demonic host of those who fell with Satan in Isaiah 14. This is not a good guy. The ruler of the demons. And others testing him. Funny how some unholy boldness can bring out some more unholy boldness. Oh, yeah, that's right. People like to be validated that their viewpoint may possibly have some merit. One of the problems with the intellectual study of God's Word is that you can often come to a wrong conclusion, then you develop an entire doctrine based on the one wrong conclusion because you found some people who would agree with you. Never underestimate the power of the masses to find some dumb thing and then follow it to its unlogical conclusion. That is the case here. Others testing him. Do you think there's any test that Jesus could get that he's not going to pass? Never a good thing to test God. It usually brings you a whooping. sought a sign from him from heaven. Isn't that what the Jews always thought? Had not Jesus already given them some signs, like the star in the heavens when he was born? You you see, Jesus was up to the task. Verse 17, But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Good thing to note, mark down in the edge of the margin of your Bible in rather large letters, God knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're thinking. He knows why you think it. He knows what's going on in your life to bring you to that place that you're susceptible to those thoughts. He knows everything. He's not all of a sudden strangely mystified because you come up with some dumb idea. He knows why you think those things. And in that knowing, his reply and his work, his will accomplished in your life is perfect. Because he knows what's going on in your head. And so he says to them, and now he basically illustrates why they're wrong. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. We call that a coup. Amen? In a government sense, when one group is ruling and another group decides that it's within that same country, that same government, that they're going to raise up and have some new different way of life, they're divided against themselves. It's happening right now on the Crimean Peninsula. It's happening in Ukraine. They're fighting, well, we're ethnic Russians. No, we're not ethnic Russians, but we're kind of, sort of ethnic Russians, but we're Crimeans, and we live over here, and you live over there. They're all of the same people group, basically, but they're divided against themselves, and who wins in the end? The answer is nobody. Any house divided against itself. Jesus is merely stating, look, guys, this has never worked. Ever. In the course of human history. You ever notice how almost all of the great rulers throughout the ancient world were killed off by their own kinfolk? Did you ever notice that? 
It was usually one of their own sons that raised up from within that particular group of people and started a rebellion. A kingdom divided against itself can't stand. Jesus is simply telling them, look, guys, look at history. Look what happened in the north when Jeroboam brought in demonic worship to try and mingle it with Judaism. And so he says, because you say I cast out demons by Beelzebub, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, who do your sons cast them out by whom? He's actually saying, look, I'm somebody's son. Who do your sons cast them out by? And therefore, they will be your judges. It's a worldly thing. And he says in verse 20, but if I cast out demons with the finger of God, you realize what he's saying there, right? He's saying he's God's son, and he's using the finger of God with which to cast out demons. Surely, the kingdom of God has come upon you. This was a godly thing that he had done, not a demonic thing that he had done, and the proof was in what he had done, how he did it. And so as he begins to kind of shred them here, what he's really saying is, if you remember, you know, he's, he's saying, look, good God gives good gifts. You guys are actually evil and you still know how to good gifts, give good gifts. You think that I would cast out a demon by a demon? It's not even rational. It's not even logical. They're working together. And so the Lord's going to begin to kind of expose their little plot here. And I want to give you a little bit of an analogy that will help you understand this, I believe, in a practical sense. We all know that to punch someone in the nose is not a good thing. Amen? If you don't know that, we need to talk after service. It's not a good thing to punch someone in the nose, really for any reason. It's just not a good thing. Suppose that you're in the military. And in the military, it's really not a good thing to punch your fellow soldier in the nose. That'll usually get you some time in the brig. But it's really, really not a good thing to punch an officer in the nose, that will surely get you some time and a longer time in the brig. And if by chance the base commander happens to be there and you punch him in the nose, you're going to spend more time in jail. And if you happen to be on the detail on the base when Air Force One lands and the president gets off the plane and you punch him in the nose, you're going to get shot dead. You get the picture? the offense increases with the status of the person against whom that offense is carried out. So it is a far more serious thing to offend God than it is to offend man. That's the point Jesus is trying to make. Look, I'm God. This is a serious, serious thing. If you happen to try and get next to POTUS, the President of the United States, you're going to be in serious trouble. If you try and get, try to get next to your sergeant, that's not quite as serious. And so 
blaspheming God, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, speaking against God himself, is a very serious offense. And we need to really seriously take to heart what's being said here. Because I unfortunately have been around people who find it okay to spit on my Jesus. And I'm going to tell you a little secret. When I'm watching some kind of media thing, I am far more put off when they use my Lord's name in vain than any other filthy thing they might say. Because it's an offense to my Jesus. It is an offense to His Father. It is an offense to the Holy Spirit. And when you get so calloused as to not care about what God thinks, about what you're saying about Him, you are stepping into very dangerous territory. And it is largely downhill from there. It is absolutely possible to become so hardened of heart when you begin to entertain thoughts that God is the devil. And that's basically what's going on here. Well, you cast out demons by Beelzebub. He's saying you are demonically inspired. That verges on those things that I don't know how far you can go. And I want to be really careful here, because I don't want anybody to think that they've unknowingly transgressed this place. I don't think that's possible, because God would be unfair if you were allowed to simply you know, utter something. I get asked relatively frequently as a pastor, and when I was teaching at the Bible college, very frequently what I thought the unpardonable sin was. It's actually quite simple. It's denying the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross and the power of the Spirit. That's it. It's a really bad place to get to. And so let's look at the connection here. And we're going to see more of this in chapter 12, and so I want to kind of move forward a little bit this morning. Matthew's Gospel actually says this. If you were to turn there, you don't need to, in verse 22 to 32. Uh, But in verse 31, it picks up and says, And therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. And bear in mind, that's Jesus speaking those words. Luke is going to echo them in chapter 12, and we'll cover more of this then. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. In other words, you could say anything about people in general. That's a different issue. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. That is serious, serious business. Again, let me say to you that if you care, you ain't there. If you have ever wondered, have I blasphemed the Holy Spirit, the simple fact that you actually are concerned about it is a sure sign that you have not done it. Now, does that mean that we should forget from there going forward whether our character should match that of Christ? Of course not. Of course not. We are to have the character of Christ. But the simple fact that you are concerned 
is an evidence that you have not gotten there yet. Because you wouldn't be concerned if you had actually blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And so as he begins to speak these things, for someone to have knowledge of the Lord's sinless life, his unbelievable power, his amazing teaching, which was the case with these guys. They are witnessing a literal miracle. Remember, this is a, this is a man who was mute and under demonic oppression, uh, more than likely possession, and he is now set free and he begins speaking. This is a very clear thing, and the reason we know that the words used here It indicates this was a guy who traveled in this group. They knew this guy could not speak. And all of a sudden he's speaking. And so they attribute that to Beelzebub, the Lord of the devils. It, like I said, does actually literally mean Lord of the flies. But here's how bad this was from a Jewish perspective. That that wasn't it from a Jewish perspective. Yes, it was the God of the Elkranites. But the Jews had taken it to be meaning the Lord of the dunghill. That was how they understood it. And in fact, Beelzebub was not only the worst of the demons, but he was, he was the one about whom everything that was carnal about the Jewish people was kind of assigned to him. So all of the Canaanite gods and goddesses that were worshipped, the, the whole practice of this half-goat person that the the Elkronites had worshipped, that whole thought process was assigned to this one demon. So this was serious stuff. This wasn't a joke. To say this in Jewish company was the equivalent of saying, look, you're satanically influenced. Be really careful about what you think about Jesus. Because if you know him, to begin the thought processes that are in view here is a road you don't want to go down. How many college students end up walking down a road of denying the miraculous work of Creator God by believing in the God of evolution? And all of a sudden, ah, there's no need for God. There's a possibility that we spontaneously got here. That fraction of a nanosecond that it took the seed of the universe to explode and then expand explains everything. And all of a sudden you don't need a God. All of a sudden you don't care that there's a God that even exists. And if that God exists, what possible power could he have over you if we came about from nothing blowing up? Think about it for a second. You see, that is a path to denying the work of the Holy Spirit. Because your Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the book of Colossians, as I said last week, reinforces that by saying, nothing that was made was made without Him, and in Him, by Him, and through Him, all things Consist, they're held together. So the sin that is in view here is one to where you no longer believe that God is relative. That God is even existent. That there is a God. And furthermore, whoever this God guy is, 
You don't want anything to do with them. That is a dangerous place. And furthermore, in our passage, when you look at verses 17 to 19, it says every kingdom is divided against itself, is brought to desolation. That's a fact. Satan's kingdom is not divided, by the way. Satan's kingdom is very organized. There are demonic angels. We call them demons. There are demonic hosts of wickedness. We call that demonic forces, principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age. It's very real. And they have a head guy. His name is Satan. And it isn't going to be too long from now when there's going to be his emissary is going to be showing up on this earth called the Antichrist. And he will work with the lying powers of Satan. They're extremely organized. And so it doesn't matter whether you're talking about God's kingdom or Satan's rule that he has right now. The organization is there. And Jesus is saying, look, which side do you want to be on? Where do you want to hang your hat at the end of the day? Where would you like to live? Now, I I know that most of you, like me, uh, I, I bleed red, white, and blue. I wouldn't want to live in any other country on the face of the earth but this one. And it grieves me to see how divided we are. Can you imagine how it feels to God when he sees his people divided? It, it bums me out when I, when I sit there and, and watch some of the protest things that are going on in our country today. It's like, really? Do you seriously think that the blood of our patriots died for that? So that you can say whatever you want and insult whoever you want and speak whatever vile thing you want? God forbid. It's divisive. Now imagine that God has an even higher order. He's just slightly above the President of the United States. Yeah? I'm pretty sure he has a singular thought process towards his creation. And it includes saving us by grace and through faith. You see, Satan's strategy is, is wholesale. It's massive. He's trying to sway the people to believe as he believes and That is why we must take a stand on these biblical issues in our world. We must. We don't have a choice. Because if we don't stand up, if we don't stand for God's definition of marriage, then who will? We're His people. If we won't stand for television that isn't pornography, then who will? Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the reason Jesus makes an issue of it. Because to start to turn towards the masses, look what happened here. A few people with an alternate viewpoint, a minority, swayed the multitude to begin to think the wrong way so that eventually evil was being called good and good's being called evil. It's a dangerous place. I get some really not nice emails occasionally about my stance on some social issues. 
And I usually politely return those emails in this fashion. Look, I'm simply standing on what God stands. That's it. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm saying that I know where the road goes. Jesus knew where the road went. He's looking at this. He's going, if you could possibly attribute what I just did to Beelzebub, then people could think that maybe Beelzebub is just as powerful as I am. Let me give you a little clue. Satan is not Christ's equal. Never was, never will be. He is a defeated foe. He works by smoke, mirrors, and lies. There is no truth in him. And so as we look at this passage, that's why Jesus goes on in verse 23 and says, He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. And he says, I'll return to my house from which I came. He's starting to say, look, the reason that these things are effective is because people don't make the change to follow me. That's why cleaning up the outside of your life never works. Ever. Oh, it's, it's a good thing to want to not drink. It's a good thing to go join some group to get some support while you're going through things in your life. I'm not dismissing any of those things, but I'm saying that's not the solution. The solution is the rule and reign of Christ in your life. That's the solution. And you are either for Him or you're against Him. There's no amount of anger and hate and bitterness that belongs in a Christian's life. The answer is zero. Now, am I trying to hurt anybody's feeling? No, not at all. That's who He is. And so Jesus is saying, look, these things happen because of who I am. Not because you joined some program. You're either for me or against me. And it's a principle. Notice verse 25, and when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. You can clean up the outside. But then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, that they may enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. You see, you can't clean up the outside. You can't just simply work on the external things and expect to have the power of Christ dwelling in you. You can look very good on the outside. Let me give you an example. The Dalai Lama. He's a nice guy. He's articulate. He writes well. He's always got a smile. He's a joyful looking dude. He looks like a guy you'd want to have coffee with. Amen? He is satanic. He's absolutely satanic. He is sucking people into a dead religion that will lead you to hell. I'm sorry if that offends anyone, but it's the truth. But it looks really good. Well, we'll just eat vegetables. I won't kill any creatures. I won't even step on an ant. I won't do anything that might return on me some bad karma. 
looks great on the outside. But it can't save you. Do you get it? There's a lot of things that look good on the outside. But Jesus said the end thereof is death. There's only one Jesus. And ultimately, if you're clinging to that stuff, you can end up in a worse place than you started. That's what he's saying. All of a sudden, you're thinking you did it. And you can sustain it. And you can see it through. If you think that this morning, let me just caution you. You're wrong. You can't do it. That's why we need Christ. Oh, you may be successful for a while. You may get free from your little thing that's going on in your life. Mark my words. Jesus' words are true. They'll come back. And it'll be worse than it was the first time. And before you know it, you'll end up denying Christ. We're either on His side or we're against Him. We either scatter or we draw together. We're on one road or the other. And when an unclean spirit, notice what it says, goes out of the man, he kind of gives him a parable. He's saying, look, you know, here, here's these things, here's how they work. The, the state of soul leaves you like this. And, and Jesus just simply illustrates it. He's going, no miracle, no sign, none of that could change your hard hearts. You've already had those things. It takes a life of faith. It takes believing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It takes honoring Him as, as your Lord, your Savior, believing He is God, that He lived a holy and sinless life. He died on Calvary's cross, and that is undisputable in your life. And so when the next book comes up that says, oh, well, we found out that Jesus had, he, he was a plural marriage guy. You realize there are several books out right now that state that categorically, that Jesus had at least four wives. Blasphemy. person that wrote that, lest they repent, is destined for hell. Let me categorically refute it. Why? Because Jesus said so. You see, we can start believing the wrong thing, and if you believe the wrong thing long enough, your mind is open to more wrong things. And then your heart is swayed by those wrong things. And pretty soon, well, you know, we can just all coexist. Every time I see that bumper sticker, I just my skin crawls. Should we be kind to everyone? Absolutely. Should we reach out to everyone? Absolutely. Should we be concerned about every religion on earth? Absolutely. But change what we believe about our Jesus to try and say that if you're a Buddhist, you're going to heaven? Absolutely not. Because Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one goes to heaven but by me. So if I tell them they're okay, I'm damning them to hell. If I tell a Muslim that they believe in the same God that I do, I am damning them to hell. That's why the issue, notice here, was Jesus. He, by the finger of God, 
healed this man. And they're saying, well, you know, demons can do that. Very dangerous place. What they were really saying is these half-demon people could somehow work that same uh, power. And honestly, they can't. Satan's just no match. And so he gives this example of an armed strong man that comes into this situation and he begins to speak about it and he, and he gives this, this story. And I want to just give a brief touch on it because I think you get it. Basically what he's saying is, look, when the strong man comes in, uh, it, it's, it's, it's tough, yes, but he's no match for me. That's the real principle that's found here. You see, when we think on these things, it becomes very clear what Jesus is getting to. He's saying, look, the external is not what we're concerned with. It's the heart we're concerned with here. And he makes a proclamation. He really says to them, look, there's only one way to live this life. Now, you may not like it. And that very often is the conversation I have with people. And they say, well, you know, you're just too strong on Jesus. Jesus was strong on Jesus. Your Bible, cover to cover, speaks of the coming King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the Great I Am, the Messiah of Hosts, the only way, the only truth, the only life, He makes no bones about himself in this passage. You're for me or against me. You can't be partially for Jesus. Muslims believe that, by the way. They think he's a great prophet. Buddhists believe the same thing. Great prophet. Hindus honor him as a prophet. But he's more than a prophet. He is I am. That's why in John's Gospel he says it seven times. He's different. He's mankind's only hope. And that's why rejecting him is such a horrific thing to do. Notice how our passage ends, and I want to touch just on a couple of things here as we end. And it happened that as he spoke these things, it says there in verse 27, that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said. So it goes from direct slander, check this out, to mushy sympathy. It goes from direct slander, you're casting out demons by Beelzebub, to your mom rocks. A certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you. This is the beginning, combined with another passage in the beginning of Luke's Gospel, uh, of Mary worship that is enshrined to this day in the Catholic Church. Not only is it wrong, Jesus himself nips it in the bud right here. And so as you think on these things, and and it gives us that question, well, should I pray to the saints? Should I pray to Mary? The answer is absolutely not. And even if it were possible, 
why would you not want to go directly to the source who can answer your prayer, if you could? The veil's torn. It's open. You can enter in, read the book of Hebrews. You can go straight to God right now. So even if you could, which we're going to see in a moment, not only you can't, but shouldn't, why would you? Let me give you a little example. We have a president, sort of. (laughs) Sorry, that's just what I think. We have a president. Now, if you wanted to talk to him about, let's say, Obamacare, wouldn't you like to actually ask him the question as opposed to some bureaucrat who sits in an office who hasn't got a clue? The answer is yes. You would want to go talk to her. Why in the world did you push this through? You told us we could keep our health care. I lost mine. I lost mine, by the way. It was canceled. And I'm not complaining. I'm illustrating. Here's the illustration. I'd like to ask him. But I sure don't want to talk to some knucklehead who doesn't know how to navigate the website, much less answer my question. Every saint is someone who was a sinner just like you who got saved. Every last one of them. So, in a sense, for today, we'll call them heavenly bureaucrats. They're in heaven. They absolutely loved the Lord. They got there the same way you're getting there, by grace and through faith. They are not the great I am. They're people. They're created, so thereby, as I've given you these passages of Scripture to look at, they're in the book of Revelation, practicing Catholics believe that you need to go through Mary. Jesus kind of says, not really. What you need to do is study your Bible. Do the word of the Lord. Hear it, read it, take it in, then do it. And if you do that, you're going to find that you don't need to go through anybody. Because your Bible says, there is no mediator between God and man except the man, Christ Jesus. And so as you think on those things, if you've got a problem, you know, it it just bothers me. Hail Mary, full of grace. Blessed art thou among women. Great is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Though there's some practical truths in there, that's Jesus' mom, that's that's a good thing. But she's a sinner who needed a Savior. And did you know who else is a saint sitting in this room? You. Let me give you a clue. I ain't praying to you when you go. Not happening. St. Daryl is not going to hang on my dash, okay? The patron saint of the road department. I don't, you know, it's, it's just, it's almost silly and senseless, to be quite frank. Ask the Lord Jesus. He is your great intercessor in heaven. Revelation 19 says this in verse 10. And I, that I being John himself, 
if you would think that there's someone who might possibly have ever had kind of a preeminent, a prominent place at Jesus, you would say it would be the one whom God said about him, he was a disciple whom Jesus loved. <coughs> the disciple of love, the one that laid his head on the chest of Jesus. Pretty close relationship. Can I remind you that John was exiled to the island of Patmos and it was from there in a cave that he wrote the book of Revelation? And so, John looking forward to heaven, verse 10 of Revelation 19, I, John, fell at the feet of him to worship him, and he said to me, who's he at the feet of? If you read the rest of the passage, it's an angel, not Jesus. And he said to me, do not do that, for I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Prayer is worship. It's asking of the one who can actually do something to do it. It's petitioning him. It is crying out to the only one who's worthy of our worship. And so as you think on that for a second, why would you want to pray to anyone save the Lord? It doesn't even make any sense. John wants to bow and worship the angel, and the angel tells him, don't do it because I'm a fellow created being. You worship God. And so how does the Lord put this to rest? He says in verse 28, and he said, more than that, speaking to that one woman in the crowd, blessed are those who hear the word of the Lord God and keep it. Yeah, I love my mom too but she's a sinner who needed a Savior. Love Peter, love Paul, love John, but they're sinners who need a Savior. Angels are awesome, but they're created beings. Worship me. So as we have in view this suggestion that Jesus could do anything apart from God, It's not a good suggestion. Let me give you a good suggestion. Skip the Mary prayers. Skip the saint prayers. Go directly to Jesus. And the first time you need to do that is when you ask him into your life. That he would be your Savior and be your Lord. Because only he can accomplish that by the power of the Spirit. And so if that's you, Romans chapter 10 says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Hebrews chapter 4 says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy because of Christ. Don't flirt with any other way of thinking. Because it's a road you don't want to go down. And you don't want anybody else to go down. So don't tell them they're okay in their Islamo-Christianity. Don't tell them that they're okay in their pseudo-Buddhism. Well, I'm I'm a Christian for salvation, but I just believe in I, I should live a Buddhist life. It's dangerous, man. It's dangerous. It's only one name under heaven. And it is at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I want to pray right now if there's anyone that's in this place that's never taken that first step. Lord, the only way to ensure that 
the road is right is to name you as Savior and Lord, to declare that you alone have the power to save, that there is no other name. I pray, God, that before the, the doors close on this building and they walk through them, God, if there's anyone, that they would simply bow their knee to you, to no one else, and ask. For we know that your word declares that you are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so it is as simple as beginning the journey by saying yes to your Lordship, accepting you as Savior. Father, we thank you that these things that seem difficult, the answer is more of you and less of us. More of your word, more of your power. And so, Lord, we cry out to you to fill your church with the power to be your disciples. We love you, we praise you, we bless you. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.